So if I could have you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Continuing in our series in 1 Timothy. Just so you know the way that uh, the Lord has helped me kind of... I I spend Monday and Tuesday putting together the the message for the following Sunday. And then I realized Wednesday that we have a family Sunday. And the message that's prepared really isn't designed as a family Sunday message. So I'm just going to bring it because I believe that the Lord wants this message for this morning. I believe that God providentially works in those ways to bring the message that He wants for whoever comes to the church. Our text is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. You know, I read a study by the Barna Group in 2014. They conducted a major study on the U.S. unchurched population. And the study revealed that over two-fifths of the United States population, that's 38%, now qualify as post-Christian. And that's besides them designating themselves as Christians. More than one-third of Americans' adults are essentially secular in their belief and also the process and the way they live. And this helps explain why there's an increase and a surge in unchurched people. The majority of the unchurched individuals at 76% said that they used to attend church, but now they see no reason why they should. What the survey shows is that there's a lot of people that have attended church and they even consider themselves Christians, yet for all intensive purposes, they live their lives just like the world. They don't look like they have any faith. They're secular in the way that they behave. They wouldn't be what we would call born again, transformed, changed, hungry for the Word of God, hungry for God's people. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says this, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. What Peter does is he commands the people in the church to confirm your salvation, to know that you know, to be firm that you know him. And Paul, in our passage this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he wants Timothy to understand is that there will be people that will come into the church and they'll participate for a while. But then for a number of reasons, they're going to walk away from the church, they're going to walk away from Christ, and they're going to live just like the world. By doing that, they reveal this heart of unbelief, and it causes them, as Paul's going to say, to to fall away. So why do people fall away from the faith? We're going to see three things in the message this morning. This is verses 1 through 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and a prayer. So why do people fall away from the faith? The first thing we see is that those who fall away give themselves over to demonic lies and false doctrine. Now, false doctrine is everywhere. Sometimes it comes into the church, and it came into the church 
here in Philippi. And so some of the people were swayed or pulled away from true doctrine to what we'd call demonic or false doctrines. Look at verse 1 again. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, I know that all of us have stories about people that we know, that maybe we knew them in church, but for whatever reason, they're no longer walking with the Lord. For some of you this morning, it might be children. You've raised your kids in the church, you've prayed for them, and and then, if you will, when they became older, they suddenly just, for whatever reason, they departed from the faith, and they just don't seem interested anymore. For some of you, it might be friends or, or maybe family members. And for whatever reason, they looked really zealous. Sometimes they seem more zealous than you did. And then maybe something happened in their life or temptation came their way. And next thing you know, they just kind of departed from the faith and they no longer seem even interested in the things of God. And I think this morning that this may be a few of you here this morning. You're on that edge. The things of God really are not that important to you anymore. You used to be excited to wake up in the morning and read the Word of God and to pray. You used to be excited to come to church, but now it seems like a chore. And your heart now feels kind of cold and distant. And what used to be a passion now has kind of waned. And and you're kind of wondering if you really even believe anymore in the truths of Scripture about Christ. Departing from the faith is not new. It has been in the church from the beginning. As a matter of fact, departing from the faith was all the way back in Israel. If you remember, from the kings all the way down to the peasants, there were many that departed from the true and the living God. And what happens is sometimes people believe out of emotion. Sometimes people respond intellectually, but there's no change. There's no reality of transformation. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, I want to begin with the scriptural fact that the work of God is by God's grace alone, and that those who are saved and truly born again will persevere to the end. The Bible teaches that a born-again believer, a person that has been transformed by, by the Spirit of God, that they will not lose their salvation, but they will continue on. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that we're to know it, that we're, we're to have the assurance of our salvation, that we're to be firm in it. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name, of the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God desires that we of his people have assurance of our salvation. Why? It makes us bold. (laughs) If we have the assurance of our salvation, we want to tell other people about it. God wants us to have that assurance. And Peter, when he wrote to those that had been scattered throughout Asia, this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd like you to turn there this morning. I'd just like you to see this. I want to kind of begin here, and then we'll get into the text Now, Peter's writing this letter to comfort those that have been scattered throughout Asia because they're being persecuted for their faith. And they're beginning to think, hey, well, something's wrong here. Maybe we've done something wrong. And Peter wants to bring them comfort. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 
He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Peter right here, he uses three adjectives to describe our inheritance. They're vivid and they're very powerful here. He says, our salvation is incapable of being destroyed. It is imperishable. It's undefiled. It will never fade away. And then he says, it's protected by the power of God. Now, if God is protecting you, it's powerful and you are protected. And so Peter is trying to help them to know, stand fast in the faith. Even though you're being persecuted, stand Because there is an inheritance waiting for you, and it is solid, and it is kept by the very power of God. When I think about this idea that we're going to persevere to the end, that we're kept, that we're loved by God, I think about Jesus. Now, when Jesus spoke about his disciples, he often called them sheep. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, this is what Jesus says about his sheep, verses 27 through 29. He says, my sheep... They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. And my Father, who has given them to me, he's greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. I have this picture here that Jesus' sheep, those that follow him, those that know him, those that are born again, that he has you in the palm of his hand, and his Father has you. You're protected by God. I want to begin here because eternal life is a gift. It's a gift from God and it's received by us by faith and we gladly receive it. And and when that happens, there's a change that takes place. There's a transformation. The Bible uses all kinds of terms for it. New life, born again, new creation. God doesn't make somebody that's new, old, Or when he creates you, he doesn't uncreate you. It's a firm and a finished work. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you were broken. You were not reconciled. But now when you believed, the Bible says you're justified. You're declared righteous. And you now have peace with God. It's settled. This is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We can be firm and settled and rest in that. Do you have that assurance this morning? Do you know that you know? Do you know that you're born again? Do you know that you're God's child? Because you want to know that. Because Paul right here, he gives a warning He says, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. And what he's referring to is what Jesus taught. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Jesus said, for false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. And so the key here in in this chapter, in chapter 4, verse 1, is some will fall away from the faith. Some will be like Judas, who claimed to be a follower, but when temptation came, they strayed and they went the way of the world. 
By faith, he means the Christian teaching, the whole of the Christian doctrine, the gospel message that Jesus lived the perfect life that we can't live. He went to the cross, he paid for our sins, and he rose again. It's that teaching. A fall away is the word episteme, and it means to depart from, to remove oneself from the position that they originally occupied. In a spiritual sense, it kind of has this picture that somebody that comes close, they, they look like the real deal, they're right on that edge, but they never actually truly gave their heart over to Christ. They, they go through all the motions, they may even have walked an aisle, said the prayer, but there was no transformation, there was no true love for God or his people. From epistemy, we get the word apostate. An apostate is not someone who's struggling to believe but one who willingly abandons the biblical faith that they once professed. This is the person that Paul talked about to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. His name is Demas. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For Demas, having loved this present world, he's deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Paul in prison, close to death, one of his partners that had been with him for years suddenly said, I'm out. And literally, he loved this present world. He ran back to the world, lives like the world. Now, Jesus spoke the word epistemy. Jesus used that word when he spoke about the parable of the soils. Now, most of us remember that parable. It's the picture of a farmer, and he's scattering seed. And he's scattering seed, and it falls on four different types of soils. You have hard soil. And then you have shallow soil that's rocky, then you have weedy soil, and then you have good soil. And the picture here, the seed, he says, is the word of God. He begins to explain it. And then it fours on four soils. The soils represent people's hearts. And so you have these four different hearts that they land on. The good soil, by the way, is a good heart. It receives it with joy and has an increase in crop. The other three are people who receive it for a while, but they're not born again. But I want you to hear particularly... Luke chapter 8, verse 13, he's talking about the shallow soil, what we call rocky soil. He says, those seeds that fall on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but these have no firm root, and they believe for a while, but in time of temptation, they epistemy, they fall away. They hear and they receive it with joy. They respond to a gospel message. They hear a message in church or on the radio. There's some kind of a, a move, and, and they raise their hand. They go down an aisle. They're part of the church. They seem excited, sometimes super excited. But it says they have no firm root. And the reason you have to understand the way he's picturing this, in Israel, they had rock that would grow underneath the ground, sometimes 15 to 18 inches. And so you could till the soil. It all looked good. You'd plant that seed, and it would spring up. But as the root went down, boom, it would hit that rock. It could not get water. It would shoot up quickly. The sun would beat down, and it would die. It had no root, and it would epistemy. They believed for a while. This is the people that Paul is talking about here. They have a response, but eventually they leave. And Paul says that in latter times, some will fall away. Latter times is now. <laughs> We're in it. And it started all the way from the point when Jesus first came, and it goes all the way to the point of his second coming. 1 Peter 1.20 says that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared to us in these last times for the sake of you. That's the beginning and is continuing on. And what, what Paul is saying is that it's going to increase. 
is that people will believe but depart. And, and sometimes, isn't it hard for us to know? I mean, it all looks good, but all of a sudden they're gone. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 11 through 13, that many false prophets will arise and they'll mislead many because lawlessness will increase and most people's love is going to grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, they will be saved. I have to ask you this morning, has your love grown, grown cold? Do you love the Lord as much as you did that first day? Is your love grown over the years for him and for his people? Or do you find that you kind of just, I don't know, I just don't really care anymore? Paul says, careful. Because what will happen if your heart is not right with God is that you'll begin to pay attention, he says, to deceitful spirits. The word is prosecco, and it means to assent to, to devote oneself to, to cling to something that is not true. People's hearts that have grown cold They're set up for a fall. They're set up for demonic deception, he says. And by the way, this is the people that the cults love to prey on. They're part of a church, but they're weak in their faith. And and they love to knock on your door and find out you're part of a church, but you really don't believe in what you know. And you don't really know what you believe. And you're weak. And mm, you're easy prey for a cult. And people like this, they're lured away. They pay attention to deceitful spirits. By the way, that word deceitful spirits, it's the Greek word planos. That also could be seducing spirits. And that's where we get our, our word planet. And you kind of have this idea that a true believer, they orbit around the truth. But somebody that's not truly a, a believer is that they, they'll wander away and now they'll orbit around false teaching. That's the picture. But Jesus said this about the Spirit of God. He says that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and he will guide you into truth. But people like this, they'll be swayed by deceitful spirits, and he's going to guide them into lies. And they also pay attention to, it says, the doctrines of demons. That's false doctrine. That's doctrine that is not biblical and sound. It's not sound doctrine. It's, it's aberrant. It's different. And they, they abandon the apostolic faith for a lie. They turn from the true faith to a false faith. And Paul looks beneath the surface and he begins to explain this kind of spiritual dynamic. False doctrine is not teaching about demons, but it's teaching done by demons. It's a message that they've created and they, they basically influence people and those people come in and start sharing things that aren't true. And it's the idea of giving yourself over to a doctrine of demons So here's a person who's been exposed to Christian truth, who understands the gospel intellectually, but there's no heart change. And this person, in one way or another, affirms and outwardly identifies with the Christian faith, but because his heart has not truly been changed, because he's not truly committed to Christ, because he's vacillating between the world and the true faith, he's set up for a fall, and then when false teaching comes in, he listens to the lie, he buys into the lie, and he's pulled away from the church. And so the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must, pay atten- we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Ask yourself this morning, are you drifting? Are you drifting from the true faith from our Lord? Now, Pastor Rob, couldn't this person be a real believer and they just kind of like backslidden? 
To be honest with you guys, I can't tell. <laughs> That's the problem with this idea about being backslidden. It's because we don't know, right? Because the reality is they'll persevere to the end. I, I don't want to be dogmatic on that. I, I can't be dogmatic on it because I think there are people that maybe believe in the true and living God and for whatever reason, if you will, they've walked away for a time. But I can tell you, they're going to be miserable. More miserable than you think because you can't live in two worlds. You know, for 14 months, from 1997 to 1998, my family, we went to England. As many of you know, we served as missionaries there. And when we got there, there were no people in the church, but slowly it began to grow. And a couple came into the church, Alicia and Tony. Now, Tony and I, we became good friends. He was a good guy, and I really liked Tony. And he, he was kind of a new believer, kind of young in the faith. And so I spent a lot of time with Tony. I mean, a lot of time. I kind of poured out into him. We didn't have a lot of people in church, so I had a lot of time, and he was it. And so, man, I was trying to show him what I knew in the Bible, and I, I took him witnessing. And man, we did all kinds of stuff for the faith, and, and we became good friends. And then after 14 months, we came back to the States. And about six months after we came back, we heard news that, that Tony kind of just went off the deep end started abusing his wife, left the faith, got into drinking. I mean, total stuff that just blew my mind. And so later in 1999, I went back. Actually, Karen and I went back, and we visited, and I had a chance to meet with Tony. He was not the same guy. He had no desire for the things of God. And it broke my heart. breaks my heart now. He didn't want to be with God's people. He didn't want to read the Word of God. He didn't even want to be around me. He departed from the faith, and it broke my heart. Well, Pastor Rob, that scares me. I mean, how can I know that I'm not one of those people that'll fall away? Well, I look at it like this. Since the Bible teaches that it is God who saves us, also the Bible teaches it is God who will hold us. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And there are evidences of faith, and I want to share a number of them with you this morning. And you need to write some of these down. Understand when John wrote 1 John, at the end of the book, he explained why he wrote it. And this is what he said. I already shared it with you. 1 John 5.13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you'll know that you have eternal life. And so if you want to know what the evidences of, of a believer is, go and read 1 John. It gives a lot of them. It gives 11 of them, actually. But I'm going to share five of them with you this morning. I'll share two with you right now. The first one is, do you enjoy fellowship with God's people, and do you have a personal fellowship with God? Do you enjoy fellowship with God's people, and do you have personal fellowship with God? 1 John 1.3 says this, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you love God's people, and do you love God? Do you love to be around God's people and hang out with Him, and do you love to be in the church? Do you love to have that alone time with the Lord and the Word of, Word of God and actually have fellowship with Him? That's an evidence that you're truly a believer and a follower of Christ. There's a second one. Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Now, it's not that you don't sin, but when you sin, man, it grieves your heart, and you don't like it, and you want God to help you, and you want Him to change you. 1 John 
Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 says this. This is the message that we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, it cleanses us from all sin. Now if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the true Christian, he loves God, he loves God's people, and he hates their own sin. Those are evidences of faith. You love to be around the church. You love to be with God's people. You're always seeking the Lord. And you keep a short account. When you blow it, you run to the throne of God. And you say, oh God, forgive me. I don't want to offend you. Why do you do that? You love him. And you want to please him. First thing, those who fall away give themselves over to demonic lies and false doctrine. Second thing. Those who fall away sear their conscience through hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is saying one thing and then doing another or living in a way before people in one way, but when nobody's around, oh, you're living a totally different way. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. He says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, they've seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now, Scripture portrays the devil not only as a tempter, he tries to lure people into sin, but he's also a a deceiver. He seduces people with lies or with error. Jesus called the devil the father of lies. And as you begin to to understand that he's a liar and that people are kind of set up if they don't have the protection of the Holy Spirit, we can understand sometimes why very educated and very intelligent people can fall for some really crazy stuff like the cults and New Age and, and now there's this whole stuff about UFOs and all kinds of weird thinking out there. And these are educated people. Why? Because there's, there's a demonic spirit full of lies, and people's heart without Christ are set up for that. But the demonic spirit, it shows up in human form. In other words, it influences people who become teachers, and they bring that stuff into the church and into people who will listen. They're demonic-inspired doctrines. And such teaching is hypocritical, and it's done by hypocritical liars, Hypocrisy is the the pretense of a lie. In other words, many of these false teachers don't even believe what they teach, but they teach it because it gives them something, maybe power or something, and so they do it. And even though they teach it, they don't believe it. They're hypocrites. And guys, this is nothing new. This goes all the way back to the garden. The devil himself was a liar and a hypocrite. The devil told Eve this in Genesis 3-4, He says, you shall not surely die. Really? That's a lie. And he knew it was a lie. He's a hypocrite. Because he knew the moment she ate of that fruit, she would die. And what happened is, that hypocritical lie 
When Eve listened to it and she responded and sinned against God, she became a hypocritical liar herself. And so did Adam. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. God approaches Adam and God says this. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Guys, Adam's a hypocrite. Adam knew the truth. Adam had free will. He had no sin in him. And he ate of that tree on his own accord. And when God asked him that question, he said, God, it's your fault. And God, it's her fault. It's not my fault. What is it? That's hypocrisy and it's a lie. No, it was his fault. And Eve was just as bad. Genesis 3.13, then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said to the serpent, she said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Well, yeah, he deceived her, but it was her decision. And she blamed it on the serpent. And this is what happens when these hypocritical liars, they come into the church, and it happens with these false doctrines. They bring in false doctrines. It's supernatural in origin, but it's natural in delivery. It comes from men. And they bring in these lies. And those that are weak listen, and they fall. And careful... It says they're seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Now, these false teachers, they do this, and they have no regret. They have no guilt. They don't even think they're doing anything wrong because their, their conscience literally has been seared with a hot iron. It means conscience is, means the sensitivity to right and wrong, sensitivity to truth and integrity. They no longer have any. They have no connection to what's right and wrong. They do whatever they want, whatever's right to them. And if you give yourself over to wanton sin, if you listen to the philosophy of this world, if you allow yourself to be indoctrinated, if you will, with the teachings of this world versus the word of God, careful. You can sear your own conscience as with a hot iron. One writer put it like this. He said, the conscience is the tool that sends off impulses to affirm or condemn a certain action and thus control behavior. But hypocrites, those purveyor of the lies of hell, have no conscience anymore. Their conscience has been turned into scar tissue and they no longer even feel a thing. And the term seared or burned, it's a medical term. It's katarizo in the Greek. It means to cauterize. It makes me think, in my first job out of high school, I worked for a manufacturing plant. It was the worst job I've ever had. I had to work on this press, and it was, it was over 500 degrees, and it had a top and a bottom, and I had to take these metal pieces and put it into the press, and then I would put these plastic pellets, and then I'd hit the button, and it would close, and it would make these electronic parts. But it was so hot that you had to wear these gloves, and you to put the little piece in there, you always had to touch the metal. And so it would burn through the gloves within five to ten minutes, and I seared the tips of all my fingers. I'd start with the right one, and then I'd go to the left one, and then I was dead because they wouldn't give you any more gloves. Worst job in the world, and it's just like that. They became as hard as rocks, every finger. What is that? It's cauterized. It's seared hard. What happens to your heart? when you give over yourself to listening to the lies of the enemy, listening to what the world is pumping out on the internet and all this stuff, and you get away from the true teaching of God's word. And then Paul says what these teachers teach. Look at verse three. He says, men 
who forbid marriage, and they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and they know the truth. This teaching is called asceticism, and it's focused in two great areas or gifts from God, marriage and food. They forbid people to do certain things. One is to get married and also to eat certain foods. And these things are to be, be taken in as a gift from God. But they use it as a way of manipulating people and controlling people. And unfortunately, this came into the Ephesian church. And the Greek culture at that time, it was the seeds of what we call second century Gnosticism. That was beginning at this time. And, and the Gnostics basically taught that the spiritual and the physical were totally separate. And that you were to stop here, this idea here was you're to stop those natural cravings to have a spouse and for certain foods. And they would use that and say, you can be very spiritual if you deny yourself those things. But guys, we know that marriage is a gift from God. Marriage between a man and a woman is a gift from God. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage is to be held in high honor among all men and the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, they will be judged. So marriage between a man and a woman, it's viewed by God as healthy and right. It's not to be abstained from, but it's good for you to be married. And God ordains marriage. And the same things with food. Food is good. God wants us to, to have good food. And, and he created it so that we would enjoy it, not so that we would abstain from it within reason. What he's saying here is that the new covenant, when it was established, the kosher laws were done with. I mean, remember Peter, he has this vision, and on a sheet, they have all these animals that he would never touch or kill or eat, but the Holy Spirit tells him three different times, kill it and eat it. Why? It's a new covenant. All the doors are open to all food. It's all good if it's received gratefully from the Lord in prayer. And remember Peter, when he was in Antioch? He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating Gentile food. Man, he's having pork sandwiches and just enjoying himself greatly. And then all of a sudden, some Jews show up. And they're from, they're from Jerusalem and from James's church. And next thing you know, Peter pulls away, doesn't he? Hmm. Well, Paul catches wind of this. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in, in their hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that, that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And what he's saying here is, guys, the food's okay, eat it. So these guys are using asceticism to try to control people. They're trying to, to lock them in by saying, don't get married and don't eat certain foods. Now, I don't think that really applies much to us here in 21st century America. I don't see too many people today trying to use that kind of philosophy. You know what the philosophy is now? License. Do whatever you want. God's cool with it. In fact, I, I read an article, I think it was Pastor Ryan that gave it to me, that there's a church where they drink beer, get drunk, and then worship. Oh, yeah, what's that called? License. And there are many today in the church that think somehow God is obligated when you live in such a way, you live as an unbeliever, 
but you expect that God will still be okay with that. What's that called? Hypocrisy. You know, on Earth Day 1971, Keep America Beautiful launched what was, do- what was dubbed the 50 greatest commercials of all time. And the commercial that won was dubbed the Crying Indian. It was a one-minute ad that featured a Native American man paddling down a, chunk, a junk-infested river surrounded by smog and pollution and trash. And then the, pan, the camera it pans to the Indian's cheerless face just as a single tear runs down his face. Any of you guys remember that ad? I remember it. Well, the ad star, the performer, his name was Iron Eyes Cody. And he became the face of the American Indian nation. And he was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And, and he had had a career in the movies. He had done movies with all kinds of stars like John Wayne and Ronald Reagan. And by all accounts, he was Hollywood's and America's favorite Native American. But several of the real Native American actors, they begin to doubt Iron, Eye, Iron Eyes Cody's reality of being a true Indian. And then a reporter, he visited Iron Eyes Cody's hometown and he made a startling discovery Both his parents were full-blooded Italians, Pastor Neil. (laughs) So how did that reality go on for so long? The town wanted to keep it quiet because they liked having a star in their town. And Hollywood wanted to keep it quiet because they were making a lot of money off his false image. As a matter of fact, Iron Eyes Cody refused to admit in public that he wasn't really an Indian. And for years, he would put on the fake wig and wear the moccasins, and he'd talk about how he was in connection with the great spirit. What do we call that? It's called hypocrisy, guys. And there are people in the church that say that they trust and believe in Christ, but if you were to look at their life, you'd never know it. And there's a third way that we can know that there's true evidence of saving faith. And again, this is found in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this. It's the evidence is that you'll, you'll want to and you will obey God. It says, by this we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. And the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him. And the one who says that he abides in him off to himself, walk in a manner as he walked. Real believers want to walk like Jesus walked. And no perfection here, but your desire is to, is to obey the Lord. And a fourth evidence is that you'll reject the world system. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The world and what it offers to the real believer no longer has the same lure and affection that you once had for it. As a matter of fact, the world oftentimes kind of disgusts us, doesn't it? As we see where it's going and the things that they're doing. But the person that's not in Christ will be lured back to the world because they'll want it. It'll be attractive to them. Those who fall away sear their conscience through hypocrisy. Those who fall away give themselves over to demonic lies and false doctrines. And here's the final one. Those who fall away become ungrateful to God 
and they'll reject the clear teaching of God's word. They fall away, they're ungrateful to God, and they reject the clear teaching of God's word. As believers, we trust in God's word. I mean, it is the standard for us. It helps us. It's a guide to us. It, it feeds our soul. But an unbeliever, they're ungrateful, and they'll reject it, and they'll turn to the world's teachings. Now, what Paul says here in verses 4 and 5, he says, everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God. He says, everything created by God is good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all that God has created is good? Maybe there's something this morning where, where people are disappointed in God. And if you're really honest, you're upset with Him. Things didn't go your way. You thought it should be this way, and it's gone this way. And if you're honest, you would say, I'm upset with God. I'm mad at God. God's wrong. Careful. In the context here, Paul expresses, I think, the antidote for this idea of ascetic teaching. He says, no, everything that God has created, it's good. And, and I think what he's doing is he's looking back to Genesis chapter 1. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, God said that food and marriage was good. Now, all the creation, he created all the animals. He created all the plants. And then when it comes to Male and female, listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. He says, God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then in verse 31, it says, and, and God saw all that he had made. And behold, he said, it was very good. And then it was evening and morning on the sixth day. God blessed what he had made. And everything he made, he said, man, it is good and it is right. And so these guys that come in and say, no, marriage is not right. You can't do that. And if this food isn't right, you can't do that. And he's saying, no, don't do that. Don't go there because God's creation, it's good. He's saying, stand on the word of God. And so the problem is, is people gave over to those things. And the other thing that they gave over to was a failure to believe what the word says. If you look at verse five, he says, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God, and by prayer. And what Paul is saying is that people, when you turn away from the word of God, you're set up. And God has, he sanctifies it. In other words, he separates it. He, he makes it clear in the word of God. And Paul's giving a clear warning here that he definitely clarifies in 2 Timothy. Listen to Paul's warning in 2 Timothy, and I'll close. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. He says, preach the word, Timothy, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll turn to myths. That's the warning for the church today. Those that don't know Christ but are in the church, when the myths come, they'll begin to listen. They're history channel buffs. They'll have anything that sounds good, but it has no basis of truth in the word of God. And they'll begin to live like the world, and then they'll fall away. And I want to close with this story. I met a man just a couple weeks ago, and he knows a friend of mine, and 
And he asked that friend if he knew a pastor, and so he wanted to meet one. And the reason is, is that this man has been away from the faith for a number of years. He went through a divorce, and that divorce kind of rocked him. And he, made, he said, he goes, I made a decision at that point. I was going to live the way I wanted to live, and I didn't care what the Bible said, basically. And he started to live like the world. He got into the dating scene, started to live and do the things that people do in that scene. And if you will, he drifted. He put away the word of God. He did whatever he wanted, and his heart grew cold. But he got a new job a few months ago, and it was about an hour away. And he decided that he would listen to Christian radio. And within a week, he was deeply convicted. By second week, he's scrambling, trying to find somebody to talk to. And I was contacted the third week. And I can tell you, God had already done the work. When I met this man over a cup of coffee, he was so broken. He was so repentant. All I needed to do is just show him the scriptures. And he confessed his sin. He agreed he'd no longer pursue those things that the world pursues. He'd get back into church and he'd follow the God that saved him. Church, listen. If you're that person where your heart has grown cold, where you know for a fact you're distant from God, today is the day that you make it right. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Well, Father, we, we turn to you because you are a true and living God. And we recognize, Lord, that it is only by your goodness that we have a relationship with you. And we look at these scriptures, Lord, and they're kind of scary, Father. Because each of us know people that we love and that no longer are walking with you. And so now, Father, I pray for those in the church this morning who their hearts are grown cold. Lord, they feel distant. And they know that they need to have an awakening, a, a recommitment, a, a coming back to the basics, back to the reality of the gospel to be made right with you. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help them today to settle that. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I please have you stand?